So as we come now to Genesis 1, as has been read for you, um, we really begin this morning in verses uh, 3 through 13, as we said last week. It'll be handling the first three days of creation this week, and then we'll handle the second, or the, the second set, that is days 4 through 6, uh, next week. But the point here of how we're addressing um, verses 3 through 13 is 3 through 13 is answering a sense of an anticipatory question. That is, if you look in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, so that summary statement, right, it gets it started. The entire beginning of origin, the entire origins uh, story begins that God created all that there is. Then in verse 2, it starts to get a little bit more particularized. The earth, that is, that earth with which God had created, was particularly without form, and it was void. And we introduced that last week, and now as we move forward into verses 3 through 13, it's going to address the question that lingers about an earth that is roughly architecturally structured that remains without form and void. In other words, well then, what will become of it? If it's presently created without form and void, what will become of it and also how? So, we begin by seeing the creation story of origins that an earth created without form and void is now going to be filled out. And it's filled out in two particular ways in verses um, 1, uh, as we're handling this morning, verses 3 through 13, and then from 14 through 31. And those two halves, or what is to become of an earth that is without form and void? Well, it is to be formed. He is going to add a form to the earth. And that is the first portion of the creation narrative, how the earth was formed. And then the second half is going to be how it was then filled. So if you're looking at the creation narrative, the entire beginning of Origins, chapter 1, there is now what is God is going to undertake is a forming to that which he introduced as without form. Here we are, creation without form. I'm going to form it. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're forming it. And then after, since it's void, it now will be filled. So what we're looking at together is this issue of the earth becoming formed and Filled. By the time we get into the sixth day, at the end of the creation narrative or sequential developments, we see that we have an earth that is no longer existing as a place inhabitable, which is what you hear in the words without form and void. It is inhabitable. And by the time we get to day six, after the forming and the filling, it is no longer inhabitable, but rather the earth is a place prepared. So at the end of six days, we read this statement, of which you're very familiar. After the forming, that is, right now it has been created without form, and it is void. It is a wasteland. But I'm going to form it, and then I'm going to fill it. And at the end of the story, we read, as I said, that which you are very familiar, on the sixth day. And God saw everything that he had made. That is, every bit of it. All of the ecosystems, its life forms, diversities, the galaxies that are hung in place, a blade of grass that grows. God saw from this place that was without form and it was void, and then he looked and saw everything that he had made. 
and behold, it was very good. This is the culmination of God's work of wisdom in forming and filling an earth that he has created. Now, as we consider that this structure of creation, is there a purpose to how it goes about? Like, uh, is there a priority? As he says, let there be light, and there was light. And then God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from the darkness. Why does Moses walk us through every bit of it at the beginning of origins? Is there a purpose to the patterning of how he said it's without form, and it's a wasteland, and then he gives it form, and it no longer is a wasteland, but it is teeming with life. Is there a purpose to the pattern and structure of creation? Is it simply organized in a narrative story so that we can see, oh, this is just, you know, he just picked light to do first? Or is there a purpose and pattern that still exists of which we are witness? And I would certainly argue that indeed the pattern is significant because it's the presence of a pattern into which the creative acts fall that provides even further evidence of God's wisdom in creating schematically. You see, that is what we would roughly sketch most broadly in the idea of an intelligent designer. But as confessing believers, it's more than that. It's the fruit of our sovereign workman, the God of Holy Scripture. And the pattern of forming and filling proves out and displays a brilliance of the earth that we are still witness to that it stands in relation. Each ecosystem, the stars that are hung, the movement of the oceans, the tides in and out, the pattern of schematic development by God, our sovereign workman, proves out that he created all things with a brilliance of interdependent sustainability. It's brilliant. No matter where we look, no matter what study we undertake, evidence emerges everywhere of a schematic, purposely structured, created order that reflects a brilliance of interdependent sustainability. It is a place hospitable to mankind. This uh, interdependent sustainability that we see here as believers, as Christians, we deem called providence. That is what we see, and that we still stand in witness to God's acts of providence. That all that he created in interdependent sustainability is God ruling over all things that he has created. He didn't begin a brilliant work and walk away. But as we see at the very beginning that the Spirit hovers over the deep, that He is present in creation. He is present among all who are created. God, here, as Moses says, in the beginning, God, and then everything else in time took place by way of God as the primary cause of 
all that flowed forward. All of the forming, all of the filming, or, or, or the forming and the filling was God as primary cause. And yet, we recognize even with the hurricane that, w- the, the, that we've been watching throughout the course of the week, we see there are indeed providential power in God's will first and foremost as the primary cause of all things. And yet, indeed, by providence, he employs secondary causes in the governance of the earth. There are things like weather patterns that occur. There are laws that govern creation. But they're not wholly apart from God as primary cause. God indeed, in the beginning, God created everything and sustains it by the word of his power. He is primary cause. And yet his brilliance is on display in interdependent sustainability. There are secondary causes that are at work in creation. Calvin makes this comment as he observes the work of God in interdependent sustainability in relationships and ecosystems in the earth. Calvin writes this, quote, Nothing in the whole world is more excellent, more noble, more beautiful, more useful, and more divine than the diversity of the earth's elements. He goes on to describe it this way, the distinct the distinction and, and, and that order in which one is more noble than another and one depends upon another. One is subject to another and one receives obedience from another. Speaking of interdependent, sustainable, providential works in creation, he concludes this way. Hence comes the adornment, beauty, and the excellency of the entire world. Some of us dabble in sciences more than others. Some here in your industries, in your PhD studies. Some in the work of being doctors, dealing with biology, chemistry, and so forth. Some of us are closer to its observable facts and their interdependent relationships, how one is intricately woven into yet another, and how all things correspond in some measure of a relationship to cause and effect with one another. Some of us are more removed. Yet indeed, as we look at the text together just for a few moments, surely we see that creation cries out. The beauty, the excellency, and the wisdom of God. And it's here that we must understand. That, it, that is, when I say we, I, I'm saying we this morning uh, as believers. Those of, uh, those of you who have gathered on this Lord's Day, whose faith resides in the Lord Jesus Christ as the soul-saving object of your faith. As we come to such a text and we consider creation, we must understand that the doctrine of creation... But again, we do believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We then, those who lay hold of the doctrine of creation, which occupies a preeminent place in Scripture, from cover to cover, we see appeals to creation. 
we then must understand the doctrine of creation, which occupies a preeminent place in Scripture, is first and foremost. Please, please hear me. The doctrine of creation, which occupies a preeminent place in Scripture, is first and foremost religious and ethical. It's not sterile and detached. It is religious and ethical. That is, we, if, if we look at the doctrine of creation throughout Scripture, and the point of why Moses is recording the story of origins to the people of Israel, the church of the Old Covenant, and to you this very moment, is that as we gaze upon nature, as we see the interdependent relationships, as we see providential laws that are structuring and governing the world, we must respond to what we see in nature. We must respond to it. And further, we must live lives that are congruent with nature. Again, this touches on issues of anthropology everywhere. Sexuality. Gender identity. Relationships between men and women, men and men, women and women. We must respond to what we see in nature and we must live lives that are congruent with nature. What is natural, what God has designed. I, I, I want to press further. Psalm 19.1. Listen to how he speaks of the doctrine of creation. That indeed, anthropology, the way that we, men and women, what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, that, 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 that matters of how we live distinctly as he has created male and female and the ethical life that flows from that. Psalm 19.1, listen to this text. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Do, do, you, do you see how he's speaking? Okay, so, so put yourself in the place to, to gaze up. And we see it in creation day one, this issue of the heavens. Separate the mists and the waters, and the heavens were created. So here you stand, and you look upon the heavens. Maybe on this slide, it's the darkest one there. You see like a few white dots up there. Because you're gazing upon the heavens. If you do so, what occurs? Not just to some of us, but to all of us. That is, every creature who gazes. No one's excluded. Psalm 19.1. The heavens, gazing, declare the glory of God. Do you see? It's active. It's evangelical to everyone and the sky above what what does it do okay so i'm looking at the heavens it declares the glory it cries out the glory of god to me okay then the sky above does what it proclaims his handiwork that's what it's doing it's it's declaring it's proclaiming and it cannot be silenced but it can be disobeyed it can be rejected 
The doctrine of creation is religious and ethical. Psalm 19 continues, day to day pours out speech. Every day, every providential day pours out speech. And then he concludes, night to night. Every day, every night, every day, every night reveals knowledge. It can't be silenced, but it can be rejected and disobeyed. The doctrine of creation isn't sterile. It is evangelical. It cries out. And we are to live lives that are congruent, coordinated with nature. He made male and female. He made them. And as agents of creation, that is, we who are the product of created order by by design, we are accountable as having been created to the creator. We live upon his sphere. He took something that was without form and, and, and it was void, it was wasteland, and he gave it form and he made it hospitable for mankind. And we live here under his authority. You see, the patterned structure of creation, simply put, reveals the wisdom of God. And if it reveals the wisdom of God, it necessarily follows after Listen to the argument. So so the pattern structure of creation teaches the wisdom of God. It didn't happen by randomness. It was structured and patterned. And if in that structure and in that pattern reveals to us the wisdom of God, and we submit that it does, and we submit to Psalm 19.1 that indeed it declares, it proclaims, it pours out, and it reveals that indeed God has created all. All that is. And I am a part of that. I'm created. It then follows that as I consider the wisdom of God, it ought to induce humility to me as a creature. This is an opposite of rebellion. To deny all that it declares to me. Deny what it proclaims to me in my sexual and ethical life. To deny that. But rather it calls me not to rebel, but to humble submission. It is to induce humility to the believer. It is to strengthen your faith. It is, as you look upon the beauty of providence, God's ordinance of all things, and then by his own wisdom through secondary causation, upholding a perfectly orchestrated world, it ought to confirm your trust in him. Right? You you think of the immense universe 
and then you think of your spot in it. In arguing from greater to lesser, it ought to confirm your trust in him. That if he can indeed hang all things, create all things by the word of his power and uphold all things, he can care for me in it. See what I mean? That they, those two thoughts, as often as they are, by myself, and I know I share my human clay with you, most often those thoughts are broken down into categories of thought, but they're distinct. They don't connect as often as they ought. That God as creator cares for me, singular. Those things are like, yes, I believe that, and I struggle with this. But when you do struggle with a thought of daily provision and care and providence that is working for your good and your benefit, do you connect your challenges to the thought of I serve a sovereign workman? Does it then finally, as it is to do in your life as a believer, And it's not like you have to go to the Grand Canyon or, for me, it was Scotland. It's amazing. But it's not like I have to go to Scotland in order to be, or or you have to go to the Grand Canyon in order to be inspired to give praise. But you ought to be able to even look upon, as Calvin would say, you know, your functioning pinky toe. And it ought to inspire praise. Now with the thought in, uh, that each um, element of creation, that the doctrine of creation in total is religious and it is ethical. Therefore, we will read the rest of Genesis, I trust, is reading it and hearing it that way. That it is calling forth a response from me. And my life is to be in conformity with God's standards. But before we address what it is that God willed into existence, because by God's will all things exist, and by his will all things were created, and by his will all things are sustained. But before we get here in the Genesis text with what it is that God willed into existence in this, these first three days of creation, we first must consider how it is that he willed all things into existence. So before we say what, which we see is the light, and you see that in the text, verse 3, well, we know what he, he willed into existence. The first thing, they, light. Yeah, right. But before we say what and go down that path, we must first address how it is that he willed all things into existence down to every single molecule and atom. How did he will all things into existence, and it's, it leaps off the page uh, uh, to you at the text. Look at verse 3. Do you see the agency, the, the, the means or the instrumental means by which there was light? It's there in the first three words of your text, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And with these simple words or, or, or this, this simple expression, 
and God said. In the sequential development of creation, with this simple expression, Moses is making clear that in all things, the word of God, however brief, do you see? And God said. And what is, what is the content of that, of that idea of speech, of the idea of his willing it? Let there be light. Again, Moses is making clear that in all things, the word of God, however brief, is paramount. However brief is paramount. I thought that he spoke into or he he drew out of darkness light. This tremendous work came by God said so as to instruct us this very moment that the word of God no matter how brief is paramount in all things. And, 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 and it's not in isolation, but again, as we say here in the story of Origins, Moses is setting the tone, as it were, for the rest of the chapter. So you go through the creation narratives, and it's, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it was so. But not only is he setting the tone with the idea that the word of God, no matter how brief, is paramount. But he is also setting the tone, as it were, for the rest of Holy Scripture. And you see it in the prophets, right? Thus saith the Lord. The grounding of all instruction to be bringing one's life into conformity with is the word of the Lord. So here the entire cosmos is constructed, hung, formed, and filled by the word of the Lord. You see the implication, the good and necessary inference? All that is created is to be responsive to the word of God. He spoke and it did it. He spoke to these and they did it. Spoke to that, and it occurred. Spoke to you, and it is to be so. The word of God, however brief, is paramount. But notice the, so you consider the first answer to how is it that God willed all things into existence. The easy answer at the very beginning of how did God, so if, if, if you believe that God created all things, how did he do it? And your first answer is by his word. He did it. But certainly you would press on to say more about the eternal word that did it. So if you would with me turn to John chapter 1. That is John's gospel chapter 1. And we will come back just to conclude uh, Genesis 3 through 13. But if you turn to John 1 to address how it is that God did it. We've already answered, right, by his word. But but more needs to be said because more is said of that eternal word whereby God spoke and created all that is. 
If you're there in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and, and you see there, there's a very intentional parallelism. The, 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 John is setting his narrative to begin in parallel to the Genesis narrative. And, and, and he wants you to draw this connection in your mind. That, that if you're reading Genesis 1, you're reading John 1. And these two things coordinate. So notice how John sets up the introduction here to this idea as we explore what is, what is to be said of this eternal word by which God created all that exists. Uh, John helps us. In John 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, do you see? Marker. As a reader, you're like, I know exactly what you're doing. Any, 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 anyone understanding Moses, reading the first five books, reading the story of origins, in the beginning, God. Now, John comes to that same text, the same mindset, and he speaks of the word at creation. So, in the beginning, aha, marker, I'm with you, was the word. Yes. And then he clarifies for us this word that was at the beginning because God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, in the beginning was the word. Yes, I saw that. Here it is. And the word was with God. Yes. And the word was God. He that is, the word God, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, word, God, was not anything made that was made. In him was life. You you see, that's why he can say, Fill the earth. And the earth is teeming with life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Here in this brief introduction of John and his gospel, what do we observe As we explore the question, what needs to be said of this eternal word? What do we observe here in verses 1 through 5 about the word at creation? Principally, two things. Number one, the word is God. Right? You see that very simply in the beginning in these parallel creation accounts. He's drawing your mind to the Genesis account. In that very beginning, in in the beginning of origins... The origin story was the Word, and the Word was with God, yes, 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 with, and the Word was God. What we learn of the Word, that is the eternal Word of creation, is that the Word is God. And yet, as a person distinct from God the Father. Now, whenever you're speaking of the Trinity, and you're trying to splice it and and, and parse it out... Um, you've probably all seen the, the, the um, funny YouTube clip about uh, uh, um, uh, uh, St. Patrick. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot my church history for a moment. Uh, St. Patrick, if not, you can look it up on the Internet yourself. We won't show it now. Nonetheless, the, the, the funny picture of the idea of Patrick trying to articulate the, the, the Trinity. 
And, and every time you speak of it, you kind of create a hole that needs to be backfilled, and then you, you kind of twist and turn. And in other words, there's no simple object lesson that then speaks to you the mystery of the Trinity. So here, the word is God, and yet a person distinct from God, the Father. And if I am to kind of um, maybe give you an opportunity to conceive of it just a little bit in this sense of word, was God, was with God, and is not God, the Father, you could conceive of it perhaps in this sense. In the idea of creation, that just as a word said and he who speaks it are separate or, or, or are distinct. So, so just as a word said and he who speaks it are distinct entities. So also is the word distinct from the Father. And now everyone's thoroughly confused and not helped at all. Um, just as a word said, and he who speaks it, are separate or, or distinct entities. So also is the word distinct from the Father, but not separate. You see, Luther gives us maybe a nice note here that is wise for us to um, adhere to. And he does it in a great great way. So Luther, commenting, says, Though there be a distinction between the Word, eternal, and God, creator, father, though there be a distinction, there is a most single-singleness. Of essence. In other words, God is one in essence, in three persons. What do we learn about this eternal word at creation, that the word is God? Secondly, from John, what do we learn about this word at creation, that the word is the creative instrument of the Father who brings the cosmos into reality. You see, the Word, the eternal Word of God is the creative instrument of the Father who brings the cosmos into reality. Notice verse 3 in John's Gospel. All things were made through him. Every bit of it. So, so when we go back to Genesis in just a moment, and it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. What is the agency whereby God said, let there be light? The agency of his word. Who is that word but God himself? One in essence, yet distinct in function. And that if we are to read the Genesis account clearly, we will see that all things were made through him, the eternal word. And without him was not anything made that was made. You see, he is the creative instrument of the Father who brings the cosmos into 
reality. So if we were to put it together in the Genesis account, and you can turn back there now, and we'll kind of uh, conclude with our text of Genesis before we go back to John one last time. But you see, if we were to read, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and we read it in light of John 1, we would confess this together. The inward willing of God, the creator. That is the inward willing of God, the creator, finds its external fulfillment through the powerful working of the eternal word. Their essence is one. His essence being one. His will being one. The inward willing of God, the creator, finds its external fulfillment through the powerful working of the eternal word. With that in mind, then, look at the text of verse 3. And God said, this, this eternal working of the word, the, 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 or rather the working of the eternal word. God said, let there be light. And the agency of that word brought light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, through the agency of the eternal word, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate from the waters, the waters from the waters. In other words, you, ha- you have a, a mist mixture. And let there, separate, let there be a separation between the waters that are below and the waters that are above. In other words, let there be atmospheric distinction. Let, 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 let the, the, the clouds form and let the waters remain. This is the internal willing of God that finds its external execution or completion through the eternal word. We have atmosphere. Verse 7, And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And the agency of the word was at work again, so much so that everything was made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so God said, agency of the word, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. God saw that it was good, schematically, purposefully, in wisdom and design. And God said, the agency of the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. You see, the inward willing of God the wisdom of God, the sovereign workman, our creator, finds its external fulfillment 
through the powerful agency of the eternal word. Now, for conclusion. To grasp the significance of the eternal word and his ability to impart life. Turn to John 1 one last time. If you're there, John 1. Notice the text with me of 1 through 5 one more time. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now notice how John now speaks of the significance for mankind, of the agency of the word. Verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Look at what the light does. The light shines into the darkness. Light, life, shines into the darkness. And the darkness is not overcome it. You see, just as we read, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So also in the human heart, Light and darkness signify mutually exclusive realms. There is light and there is darkness. And throughout Holy Scripture, these signify mutually exclusive realms. So also here in verse 4 and 5, there is light and there is darkness. Light represents life. That which is pure, righteous, and true. Darkness is the realm of sin, unrighteousness, and death. I'll conclude by reading verses 6 through 14. What must our response be to the eternal word at creation? As creatures being created with a sovereign workman to whom we are accountable in whom is life. And that life was the light of men. Beginning in verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. And and notice in verse 13 that the same creative power that caused the light to shine into darkness, that caused the earth to be formed and filled. Look at the same power of imparting life in verse 13. They were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man. They were born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That very word at creation, the agency that brought all that we see and all that there is, brought it into real time. That word, the eternal word, God said, let there be light and there was light. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal word, the agency of the Father, he who creates light out of darkness, both in realms of the cosmos and in the human heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to him that we are accountable. It is unto him to whom we are given account. It is him by whom we are saved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for creation. We thank you for the agency of the eternal word at creation, that our God is triune, that we confess Father, Son, and Spirit, being of one essence and distinct in three persons. We thank you that that eternal word and your plan of redemption became flesh, and dwelt among us. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the object of our salvation, our King, and our Savior. Pray this morning if there is someone here who is struggling with their thought of redemption, salvation, submission to Christ. Pray that you would reveal to them your grace and your mercy as we see here in John 1 full of grace upon grace. Pray for repentance. To the believer here, I pray that they will be strengthened to trust you, to obey you, to be moved towards humility, your sovereign power, to orchestrate their lives in obedience to you, to trust in your provision in all things, spiritual and physical. In your name we pray. Amen.